Hi there. Welcome back to today's podcast. In today's podcast, we got a fun one today. I'm joined by Sean, and we're going to discuss a little bit of resistance training. So, um, Sean, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me back. No problem. Looking forward to this one. So, basically, the name of the game for today's podcast, we're going to discuss the six foundational movements, and we're going to pick our top two exercises for that particular movement. And I don't know Sean's answers. He doesn't know my answers, so I'm assuming we're going to have a lot of different ones, so we can have a little bit of debate at the same time. So the categories we have is push, so anything kind of like a chest press, any sort of pushing type of motion, a pull, any sort of like row or like a chin up or a lap pull down, some in terms of that, a hinge, thing like pushing hips back, like some sort of deadlift, we got a squat, speaks for itself, single leg, so single leg means just one leg, it could be something like a split squat, we're still going to count that as a single leg, and then we got carry as well, kind of carrying a weight as we walk back and forth. What are some of the factors you kind of put into picking some of your exercises? Yeah, so I'd say the first one that I really considered was overall physique. I think, uh, at least for myself personally, that's one of the main motivators for me to exercise. And I know uh, for my clients, they, they come in because they want to uh, transform their physique. So that was the, the main one. Uh, also, my personal preference as well. So that definitely played a role. Uh, degree of difficulty. I didn't want to choose ones that were... Uh, a little too obscure and too difficult to do. Um, ease of setup, nothing requires some crazy equipment. And um, just overall risk for injury. I know you probably put a higher emphasis on that than I did, but yeah. obviously that was still something that I put into consideration. So what were some of the things that you uh, you considered? Definitely a lot of overlap for sure. Like you said, um, I kind of come from obviously a corrective background. I'm highly influenced by people like Eric Cressy, uh, Shirley Sarman, kind of people in that prehab, rehab type of field. So I'm definitely influenced heavily in that. Um, strength was a component for me. Like, is it a movement you can easily overload? Um, obviously, muscle growth. Can you get good muscle growth from that particular movement? Like you said, kind of physique. And I like that you said degree of difficulty too. Um, I didn't include any like Olympic lifts in there. Obviously, it's going to be pretty challenging for the general public to do. So degree of difficulty is definitely a factor. But like you said, injury prevention is obviously a big factor for me. And um, yeah, kind of combine all those factors to kind of pick my top two for that particular movement. You ready to get started? Sure, let's do it. All right, I'm going to let Sean start off first. So what he's going to do, what we're going to do, I should say, he's going to say the first two exercises and he's going to explain them. I'll say my two and then we can have a little debate if we kind of disagree back and forth. So the first category, it's going to be single leg. So what are your top two exercises if you had to pick for single leg training? Sure, so single leg. And by the way, I'm going to give a two to five second delay after each question that he asked just because last time for whatever reason during the spotify or not spotify but the actual <laughs> podcast section uh, we had overlapping and it just sounded like i was interrupting the whole time so i don't want to do that again um for single leg i had a feeling what you were gonna say so i didn't want to include that uh this one is based off a lot of my personal preference and that's the walking lunge the walking lunge was the first one i chose and the second one i chose was the single leg deadlift so the reason I chose the walking lunge is for me personally, I enjoy doing it more than a Bulgarian split squat, which I would find the kind of similar exercises. I find for me personally, it hits my glutes harder than any exercise. I know that's, that's anecdotal and some people might feel it more on the quads. Uh, I like that I can kind of throw a barbell on my back and do the walking lunge from there. And it's just an exercise that I really enjoy. The negatives, I guess you could say about the walking lunge is it's not suited for everyone. It is more of an advanced exercise because it does require that deceleration after each step, uh, requires a certain amount of stability and balance. 
And um, it also requires you to have space. So logistically, it might not be the, the best single leg exercise for those reasons, but personally, just for my overall physique, my enjoyment, and the way I can set it up, the walking lunge is my favorite, probably lower body exercise uh, that really targets my quads and the glutes. The second one I chose was the single leg deadlift. The single leg deadlift, not that it's necessarily a favorite of mine to do, I just think it's a really important exercise to do. I think a lot of people are tempted to uh, grab a barbell, go super heavy, see what their one rep barbell max is, and uh, they don't really realize that they already have, this is more up your alley, but they don't have uh, a ton of imbalances. So they're driving off more with one leg, their hips are shifting to the side, uh, and you can't really tell when you're doing that during a barbell deadlift. It's very subtle and it's very hard to look at uh, and notice until you actually get injured. So. Uh, I like to use the single leg deadlift as a prerequisite, not necessarily to prerequisite before deadlifting, but a prerequisite before deadlifting heavy, because it's going to test a bunch of things that your, your regular deadlift won't really be able to identify for you. So your balance, your stability, your mobility, and, and I like that you can use a bunch of different pieces of equipment for it. So I like to use a kettlebell, just offset one hand. You can use dumbbells, you can use a barbell, you can use landmine, you can even go body weight. And the reason I like to do this is like I said, it's a prerequisite before you want to go and deadlift heavy because you'd be surprised how many people can deadlift heavy, but can't do a single leg deadlift without any sort of equipment at all. Uh, I also like it as accessory work. So if I'm doing a lower body workout and uh, I want to work the hamstrings, I want to work the glutes, but I don't feel like deadlifting too heavy. Maybe I want a little bit of an easier neurological type of workout. Um, I just find the single leg deadlift is, uh, is an exercise that really translate well, translates well and it identifies a lot of weaknesses and imbalances and you're able to correct a lot of those weaknesses and imbalances. So those would be my two for uh, single leg. Curious that's, to hear yours. Yeah, that's interesting. So you kind of pulled a page from my book there, kind of the injury prevention, the single leg deadlifts. I can, uh, I can definitely appreciate that. And we'll kind of get to um, why I didn't pick them and you can kind of discuss why you didn't pick mine after, but we actually have two different ones right off the bat. So my first one is a Bulgarian split squat and my second one is a reverse lunge. So the Bulgarian split squat, reason why I choose this one, I just love it for so many reasons. Uh, number one, it's a fantastic way to hit the glutes, but you can also even bias it to more quads as well. This setup is pretty straightforward. As long as you have some decent coordination, it can really kind of help with the stability components. So that way you can really overload the lift pretty well. So um, that's why I kind of like the Bulgarian split squat in that sense. It also gives us good mobility on that back leg. So if, so if we're super tight in our quad muscle, a muscle called the rex femoris, we kind of get on that kickstand. It's a great way to get some mobility in that back rear leg, but at the same time really focusing on strength, stability, and coordination on that front leg. And I really like it. Any single leg training really is going to have this muscle kicking in. But the glute medius's job is basically to stabilize the hips, making sure it's not going to go back and forth. And in that Bulgarian split squat, um, same thing obviously as a walking lunge. The glute medius is going to really going to kick in to make sure we don't have that knee cave or the hips don't shift. And uh, that's the reason why I put a Bulgarian split squat because it's just a great way to overload and you get some sort of stability component to it. But at the same time, you would need some coordination and some balance to it. And the second one I chose was a reverse lunge. The reason why I picked a reverse lunge over kind of like a forward lunge is because I think most people as a general rule of thumb need to learn to sit back into their hips a bit more. And um, I think a lot of people are quad dominant and their first motion in terms of whether it's like a squat or a lunge is the knee kind of shoots out forward first and then the hip kind of falls. In the reverse lunge, we get a little more of a vertical uh, tibia, so our shin bone, which can be very beneficial for our knee health. 
and it teaches the individual to really sit back in the hips. And once again, it's going to be a great way to really target uh, the glutes. So there's no really right or wrong way. As you can kind of tell, I kind of bias a little more towards the glutes. Um, Sean, of course, did with the single leg deadlift, but the walking lunge, still fantastic for glutes, of course, because of the deceleration component to it. But it, it could be a, a little more quad dominant, especially if you're kind of lean um, with the knee. So I'll kind of make, uh, talk about why I didn't pick the single leg deadlift. Honestly, the walking lunge for me, that was my third kind of like even 2A, 2B. So I was pretty close to pick that one. But did you want to discuss maybe why you didn't kind of pick the Bulgarian or the um, the reverse lunge? Yeah, so for the Bulgarians, one, I knew you were going to choose the Bulgarian split <laughs> So I, I knew for a fact. Uh, two, it just came down to personal preference. I Personally, I like the Bulgarians and walking lunges equally. I think they accomplish similar things. Um, I, I agree with everything you said. I think there probably are more, I don't say negatives, but more obstacles when it comes to the walking lunge. So the Bulgarian might be in a better introduction exercise, but just for me personally, um, as close as they were when I kind of weighed everything, it just came down to my personal preference. So I happen to prefer the walking lunge over the Bulgarian split squat. I really don't have any negative to say about the split squats. I know for a lot of people, uh, it can be a, a very difficult and challenging exercise to do. It can be often referred to as the, the most painful exercise to do because of just how difficult and how much it, it burns those legs and gets the heart rate up. And I just enjoy the walking lunge better. And um, reverse lunge, I have nothing against either. Just, I guess I was trying to focus on more uh, hamstring where you were focused on more taking pressure off of the knee during the lunge, which I think is a super important thing to note. So if you're doing a walking lunge and your knees hurt, the easiest way to modify that is to do either the Bulgarian split squat or the reverse lunge, which is going to take a lot of pressure off the knees and load up the glutes, but uh, I can't go wrong with either one of those. So I have no issues with, with your choices. Yeah. I think all four choices are great. And um, the walking lunge, like I said, that's kind of my, was my two B. I was so close to put it in. So I don't really have anything negative to say about the walking lunge. I love that exercise. It just kind of came down to knee health for myself. Um, the single leg deadlift, the reason why I didn't include it you made some absolutely fantastic points of how it's so good for kind of the proprioception so where your body's in space and it's good for glute ankle all that sort of stuff in terms of stability the only reason why i didn't choose a single leg deadlift is because i find it's difficult to really load that pattern in terms of an overload so um, most people's uh, limiting factor with the single leg deadlift is going to be stability and they're not going to be able to really lift that much weight because of the stability component but for all the reasons you mentioned if i'm talking um just pure you know, kind of full body, single leg, coordination, stability, even a little bit of strength. It is definitely a fantastic exercise to do. And it's an exercise I do. I know you do every single time. Again, these are all just great exercises. We're just picking our top two. And um, that's where it's having a little bit of fun with it right now. Any more to add to that or? No, I think that's good. And I think like Rich said, all of the exercises we're choosing are exercises that we actually do as well. Exactly. So it's not like we're just picking exercises for the sake of it. Uh, I think we're done with the first one. We're going to move on to the second one here, which is the hinge. So we're going to get Rich to go first here. What are the two hinge exercises that you chose? Okay, so the two hinge exercises I chose were Romanian deadlift, and on the second one, you're going to disagree with this one, is be a barbell hip thrust. So I'll start with the Romanian deadlift uh, first. Romanian deadlift, obviously a deadlift um, in general, is a fantastic movement pattern to really master. And I think a lot of people... Think of the deadlift as a strength exercise, which it is, and it's a great exercise you can actually add strength to it, speaking of the remaining deadlift, but it's more importantly a movement that I think a lot of people don't know how to do. And if we don't know how to really hinge back our hips properly, that's just going to cause problems down the road because if we get in sort of 
Um, you know, so we got to pick something off the ground. Generally speaking, our backs going to bend a lot more than our hips, and that can potentially cause a lot of issues. So the Romanian deadlift, great in terms of knee and lower back uh, health, but it's also a fantastic way to build our hamstrings, our glutes, our grip strength. And like I said, it just really teaches the individual to kind of uh, learn that hip hinge pattern. And it's also great for core stability as well, as we get so many muscles around the spine that really have to kick in when we are doing a Romanian deadlift. The second one I chose, there's a disadvantage for me in deadlift compared to a conventional. Maybe you can't lift as uh, much weight opposed to pulling something to the ground, but for the most part, there really isn't that much of a negative for me in deadlift. Unless you do not know how to hip pinch, then it could potentially be problematic. The barbell hip thrust is the second one I chose, and this one's going to be a little bit controversial. The reason why I chose the barbell hip thrust is because it strengthens the glutes in its short range. So it's a bit of a meathead answer I'm going to give you right here. But um, we have something called strength curves. There's an ascending and descending, and there's something else as well, but don't worry about that. An ascending strength curve would be an example as a deadlift. So we kind of come up to the top part of the deadlift. There's really not that much load on the glutes, right? Just think about it. We're in that bottom range. The, that bottom mid-range, the hardest part of a deadlift is going to be in that bottom to mid-range. And we pull up that bar, it's going to be pretty easy. Maybe for grip strength is tough, but there's no really load on the hamstrings and the glutes. The barbell hip thrust is a descending strength curve, meaning it gets harder at the top part of the lift. So obviously we're at the bottom of the barbell hip thrust, it's pretty easy. When we thrust up to the top, it's going to be a lot more challenging to do. And it really loads the glutes in that short range of motion. That's the reason why I really like it. I like it as well because a lot of times in lower body workouts, uh, let's say if we can't get a barbell around our back and we're always just holding dumbbells, the barbell hip thrust would be a great way to kind of load and t- I should say take off some load on the forearm muscles. We don't have to grab the bar. It's just a stabilizer right there. And if we're super kind of pulled down and really lat dominance, this would be a fantastic exercise to do. If there is one big disadvantage with the barbell hip thrust, I will say it's a very awkward, awkward exercise to do and to set up. But that's kind of my two. What did you pick for hinge? So for hinge, I agree 100% with uh, Romanian deadlift. I, I, do th- I don't want to repeat everything you said because I, I agree 100%. I think it's an exercise that everyone should learn how to master. At least from my experience, I find a lot of men in particular really struggle to hip hinge properly. And uh, they often come in with back pain and knee pain because one, they don't know how to hinge and keep their back straight. And two, they'll just defer into a squat pattern. So they'll just squat up and down, all knee flexion, no hip flexion. And then eventually their knees start to hurt because there's such a discrepancy. And like Rich mentioned earlier, most people are super quad dominant. So uh, if you wanna really take some pressure off the quads and load up the hamstrings and glutes a little bit, it's gonna really help if you're able to hinge correctly. And uh, I think the barbell, and dumbbell Romanian deadlift is probably the king of all hinge exercises for the reasons uh, that he stated. So I don't want to get in too much there. I will say the one potential negative, if you're not working with a coach, it can seem like you might be doing everything properly with the deadlift, but there are so many things that go into it. So you might be rounding that lower back without realizing your shoulders might be caving in. You might be bending too much from the knees. There's just a, it's a pretty complex movement that looks really simple. So it's not the easiest exercise to do, but it's a very, very important exercise and pattern to learn. So uh, I agree 100% with that one. The second one I chose is a kettlebell swing. You could use a, du- a dumbbell, but I just find the kettlebell is perfectly suited for the, uh, the swing. And uh, the kettlebell swing is basically an explosive deadlift. It is working all of those posterior chain muscles, the hamstrings, the glutes, the back, and uh, we're able to do so explosively. So really good for getting that heart rate up. It's really good for working a ton of different muscles, just like the deadlift does. 
and uh, it has really good implications when it comes to athletic performance. So if you're an athlete, if you're trying to get faster, stronger, more explosive, uh, the kettlebell swing is one of those exercises that you could do with a really heavy weight because you're not using your arms. It's going to teach you how to use your hips and how to effectively drive through and create as much power as you can. I find this one does a really good job of one, just becoming more explosive. Two, I find it does help, uh, not as efficient as the barbell hip thrust, but it does help with hypertrophy when it comes to the glutes. And, um, and three, it's almost like a cardio exercise as well. It's going to really get that heart rate up. So you do get the best of both worlds. The negatives would be very similar to the Romanian deadlift, just amplified. Meaning if you're not able to do a deadlift correctly, you definitely should not be doing a swing because it's a lot more explosive. And if you're not able to control that, if you're not able to hip hinge properly, the risks associated with a deadlift are just compounded when it comes to the kettlebell swing. So as much as I love the kettlebell swing, um, make sure you're able to hip hinge correctly. So those would be my two choices for the hinge. Okay, so yeah, the reason why you didn't pick the swing, and I'm actually curious to see why you didn't pick the, the barbell hip thrust, this would be interesting. This is a swing uh, for me, again, I'm kind of thinking about overload. Um, again, some movements, maybe we can maybe do, if we're really strong, 100, 110, 120 pounds. And um, the force production of it, so we kind of get the top part of the lift. There's not gonna be too much tension on the glutes, but it is a fantastic exercise. I do kettlebell swings all the time. Great for power, great for conditioning. Like Sean said, still gonna get the glutes and hamstrings involved. But again, it kind of comes down to me in terms of just like a little bit tough to overload the movements to kind of get maximum glute and hamstring benefits. I'm curious to hear your opinion on the barbell hip thrust. You know I'm a huge fan of it. You're so-so on it. Go away, feel free to rip it if you want. Yeah, no, I definitely don't want to rip on it. Uh, I, I think if you look at like the research and the EMGs and everything, like, it's, it's a great exercise objectively, on paper, fantastic. Uh, I just think there's some exercises and just in general with everything where it looks good on paper, but for some people it just doesn't translate well. And for me personally, I just don't enjoy doing it. I find it's really uncomfortable, it's really awkward, uh, and the amount of effort that I'm exerting doesn't really get me the the type of production or feeling that I want to get out of that exercise. I think the setup takes a long time. Um, I think for some people it's fantastic. So I don't want to rip on the hip thrust at all. I think some people probably uh, get the most glute activation of that exercise. And I'm sure you probably have the studies to back that up. But just for me personally, I find it's uncomfortable. I know a lot of clients say the exact same thing. It's really uncomfortable exercise. It doesn't feel good. It's awkward. And um, the setup has to be perfect because if you mess, mess up the setup or even if you mess up the execution, it's very easy from going to uh, glute dominant exercise to hamstrings, quads, even calves. There's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of room for error for it. And just personally, when it comes down to the amount of effort that I'm giving, because it does take a lot of energy to perform this exercise, I find I can get more out of my glutes from a Bulgarian split squat, a reverse lunge, a walking lunge, uh, even an RDL, Romanian deadlift. So it's not that I dislike it. It's just I personally think it's uh, one of the more overrated exercises because of how much people talk about how great it is. So that's probably why I wouldn't include it on my list. Yeah, those are all valid points. And honestly, I really can't disagree with, uh, with too much of that. Like you said, there's a lot of personal preference. Definitely a lot of people definitely find it awkward. Kind of like a love-hate one for sure, I find. Let's move on. Next, we're going to talk about is the squats. So I'll let Sean kind of lead the way here. What are your two exercises you pick for the squat? So squat, I chose number one, the goblet squat. And number two isn't necessarily a type of squat, but a way of doing the squat. And that's a heel elevated squat. And the reason I chose the goblet squat, I just think it's a fantastic way to introduce hip lifting heavy weights into a squat without overloading to the point where you're grabbing a barbell and throwing it on your back. 
Um, I think people see the barbell squat and just assume that it's the best way to squat. Uh, but I think the, the goblet squat is a great way to at least develop the good habits and the good technique. Uh, it's going to engage a lot more muscles than a, a barbell squat, which is also kind of the negative. You're not going to be able to overload it the same way you would with a barbell squat. Uh, but you're really working your core, your mid-back, your upper back. And uh, by keeping those elbows in and the dumbbell under your chin, it's going to really teach you how to be active and tight when doing the squat. And uh, it's good for all fitness levels, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced. It's, uh, it's a good way to learn how to squat and to, to work a lot more muscles. I think a lot of people, like I said, associate the barbell squat as like the king of squats. Uh, but I think its utility is probably best suited for people who are training specifically for powerlifting. So unless your main goal is to get stronger, I think there are other ways to squat and uh, do so effectively. So the goblet squat, like I said, is just, it's super easy to do. Anyone can do it. You can progress doing it and uh, you get more bang for your buck. Yes, you're not going to be able to overload it as much as a barbell squat, but it's much easier to do and uh, it's probably safer as well. The second one I chose, this one was more for personal preference and that's the heel elevated squat. So I say personally because I probably have the opposite problem as uh, most people do. So I'm hamstring and quad and uh, glute dominant, whereas I want to build my quads. But if I try to do a regular squat, whether it's a goblet squat or a barbell squat, naturally I'm going to push my hips back and my glutes are going to take over. My hamstrings are going to take over. And even though I'm trying to build my quads, I'm just perpetuating that imbalance that I already have. So I want to try to find a way that I can overload the quads. So this would only be if you are looking to build the quads and you know, maybe that your, your typical squat struggle struggles to hit those quads or if you maybe don't have enough depth and then what you can do is you can actually elevate those heels which allows your knees to flex a lot more and allows you to get down a lot lower into the squat so for me personally when I do the heel elevated squat I can feel my quads a lot more I'm not putting the same amount of hip flexion I'm not sitting back into the squat as much so it's just a manipulation of a squat in order to work uh, a different muscle group for me it also helps if, uh, if you have really tight hips, so Rich can probably get more into this, like hip impingement and stuff like that, where you can only push your hips back certain uh, distance, or if you just struggle with ankle mobility, like I do as well, or calf mobility, and you're just really tight and can't get down low enough. So uh, I don't think the, the heel elevated squat is for everyone, but I think if you're one of those people that struggles with either uh, mobility with a squat, or you're just naturally glute dominant and you want to build up those quads, I think the the heel elevated squat is a great option. And the good thing with the heel elevated squat is you can use different equipment. You can do it in a goblet position. You can do it in a barbell back squat. There's so many different ways you can do it. It's just a way of shifting that uh, natural setup for you. Yeah. So uh, I kind of have one of my exercises kind of combined your two. So my two exercises for the squat, second one I'm a little sketch about, um, I was kind of torn up, but the first one is actually heel elevated goblet squat. So kind of combining your two into the one, maybe a little bit of cheating there. The second one is actually the barbell squat and I'll kind of get into that and really break it down. But the first one, again, I'm not going to go too much in depth because I don't want to repeat the same point Sean did, but it's just a great way to kind of build the quads. And if you have tight ankles, it can be just a good way to kind of get down deeper into a squat, which could therefore translate more into knee flexion, which is kind of the bend at the knee more opposed to hip flexion where you're kind of sitting back 
And if we kind of run out of room in our ankles, our body kind of wants to bend forward. And again, if we're just elevated, you can kind of get down nice and low in that position. So that's why I love it in terms of the, the heel wedge or the heel elevate, I should say. And uh, again, yeah, just great core control. I don't want to go into too much depth. Sean says some great points there. So we'll kind of keep it that. that. The heel over the squat is definitely a fantastic way. If there is one negative, again, just in terms of overload, generally speaking, people's core shoulders are, are going to give out before their legs kind of give out. So if you're trying to look and build your, your legs, then it could be a potential disadvantage. The second one, I'm being a little bit hypocritical here. I put the barbell squat in. And the reason why I say I'm being hypocritical is I don't barbell squat myself and I don't do it with my clients unless they have the prerequisite mobility and stability. Let's talk about some of the advantages first of the barbell squat. Again, it all comes down to overload for me. So we're trying to kind of build our strength and um, muscle growth. The barbell squat, it is by far the best squat movements you can overload in. So um, again, goblet squat, a lot of people, if you do 100 pounds, it's pretty impressive. Um, for a lot of people, barbell squat, you can add on plates on top of plates and really kind of grow your quads and your glutes by really overloading that movement. So that's by far the re number one reason why it picks the barbell squat is in terms of it's the best for strength and it's the best in terms of muscle growth. Now the downside to it, very complex movement to master. You need mobile ankles, you need mobile hips, and you need a mobile thoracic spine, so your mid-back. If you're lacking mobility there or even stability in your hips or the ankles, um, it, your body, as I said, the movement is gonna start breaking down. Whether it's a knee cave or your chest starts to drop down or you get a hip shift side to side, so it is a very complex movement to master, and I only do this specifically for clients I know that can squat comfortably. So if you can't master a bodyweight squat, you have absolutely no business going under the barbell. So I really say this with fair warning. If you have great mobility, great stability, barbell squat away. If you don't, I would say take extreme caution towards that movement. Anything to add at all in terms of maybe why you pick the barbell squat or a side note, say anything at all in terms of the squat pattern before we move on? Well, just for the barbell squat, like. Unless you're, for me personally, unless your main goal is to get stronger, there's no need to barbell squat heavy. With that being said, I like the barbell squat when it comes to maybe lighter loads if you're able to do it. So, uh, especially if you're trying to squat as heavy as you can, overload like you said, uh, you don't want your grip to be an over your limiting factor. You don't want your, your chest and your hands. What you can do is just throw on that barbell on your back and you are... I wouldn't say isolating the legs, but you're putting the majority of the tension on the legs. Your upper body isn't working quite as much as it would during a goblet squat or even a suitcase squat. So uh, if you have the shoulder mobility and you don't mind throwing that barbell on your squat, you're able to do it on your back and you're able to do it with good form, you don't always have to barbell squat heavy. So I do a combination of what you were saying before. I do the heel elevated, but not goblet. I actually do the barbell squat, but I don't go anywhere near my max. I'm not trying to get stronger. I'm trying to build my quads. So uh, there's definitely a, a, a way to do it, but it really depends on the client. Unless they are specifically trying to get stronger, I don't see the the point for most people to uh, to go super heavy barbell squat. I just don't think the risk is worth the reward. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And what, what I mean like strength, I'm kind of talking like, you know, maybe the six to 12 rep range. Like I agree with that. Like when people try to hit like one RMs or three RMs, like I think that's very necessary to your point, unless you have like a specific goal you're trying to address. Um, we got pull first. I guess it's my turn to start it off, right? Let's do it, yep. All right, so the next pull, uh, the pull pattern, the two exercises I picked, these are pretty straightforward. You might even have the same or at least close. I have the chin up and I have a T-Rex row. So my uh, rule of thought there is uh, I picked one vertical pulling motion and one horizontal pulling motion. So let's start with the chin up first. 
Chin-ups are one of the king of upper body, if not even like full body exercises you can do. Great way to get the lats involved, great way for core stability, great for the biceps, and even muscles that we don't really kind of think about, like the lower traps and a muscle called the serratus anterior, that's very important in terms of shoulder stability. The chin-up is going to hit all those. And once again, my big emphasis in terms of picking exercises is, can you overload the movements and does it hit a lot of muscles? And the chin-up hits a ton of muscles, you can overload the movements so it's good for, uh, good for strength. And at the same time, it is good for muscle growth. It has a great anabolic effect because we are hitting a lot of muscles in that compound movement. So I do love the chin-up. If there is a limiting factor, I'd say or a couple limiting factors, it definitely can be a complex movement. If people have bad core stability, you'll see a lot of lower back arching going on. And if people don't have full overhead mobility or close overhead mobility, or even symmetrical, even more important, we can kind of get some shoulder issues. So I see it all the time. Someone on their right side can go up all the way, no problem. On the left side, they're 10 degrees shorter. Think what happens, you're at the top, or the, actually the bottom of the chin up. You're kind of shifted towards the side. That can cause a lot of unnecessary strains to that one side of the shoulder. So that's kind of the one or a couple of downsides of the chin ups, but in terms of strength, um, even some stability and muscle growth, fantastic exercise to do. The second one I picked is the T-Rex row. And again, T-Rex row, it's a horizontal moving pattern and it's easy to overload once again. If we want to make it tougher, we put our feet farther away. We can add plates on top of our body. So it kind of gets more the big, the big, excuse me, the mid-back muscles along with the lats opposed to just the lats like where a chin-up would get. That's where the kind of the horizontal versus the vertical comes down. And the reason, or so the number one benefit I find the T-Rex row as well, it's super spine friendly. So we're not leaned over, we're not grabbing a barbell, we're not grabbing dumbbells. We have the T-Rex as our machine and we can still overload it so, uh, so easy and so properly. So that's the reason why I really enjoy the T-Rex row. Um, again, in terms of limitations of the movements, there really aren't that much. Maybe a little bit of core control. If you start to get really heavy and you're pulling, it can build a little lower back arching and kind of that rib flare. But besides that, the T-Rex row kind of checks off all the boxes for me. What did you pick in terms of your two pull exercises? Yeah, we had the same thought process. So for me personally, I said chin-ups or pull-ups. I think they're both interchangeable. Yeah. And uh, inclined chest-supported dumbbell row, okay. which is very similar to the TRX row. Yeah. Uh, the reason I, ch I chose chin-ups and pull-ups, very similar to you. Uh, but I think even just from like a physique point of view, find anyone who can do a lot of chin-ups and look at their physique. They're going to be in unbelievable shape. Yeah. The downsides is it, it, it takes a lot of body weight strength to be able to do chin-ups. So it's not one of those exercises that anyone can step in the gym and just like start to bang out a bunch of chin-ups. Like you do have to have a certain level of fitness to even uh, get to the point where you're able to do one. So uh, it, it's not the most uh, beginner friendly exercise in the world. Uh, and it does help if you have lower body fat percentage too. So. Uh, which is why it goes so hand in hand with physique because it's a combination of having really good body weight strength and relatively low body fat percentage. And if you have those, you could do no other exercises for your upper body and have an unbelievably impressive upper body physique. So the chin up is probably my favorite exercise for the upper body just because it's so, uh, it, it works so many different muscles and you don't need any equipment. You just need a bar. You can do pull-ups, get the same type of uh, benefits. So chin ups, pull-ups would be my, uh, my number one the negative being the the level of degree of difficulty it would be for people to step in. It's not just like one of those exercises that you can do off the bat. The second one 
Exact same idea as the TRX row. I chose the incline chest supported dumbbell row, which is another spine friendly exercise. Like Rich said, uh, there's nothing wrong with doing hip hinge, barbell rows, hip hinge, dumbbell rows, but if there is that additional stress on your low back and unless you're able to hip hinge correctly and engage your core while doing it, uh, a lot of people, especially if you're not at that high level of uh, fitness where you can get that proprioception uh, engaged, then there's, I think there's just more appropriate exercises. I think the TRX row would be one option. The reason I didn't choose the TRX row is just because uh, if you're working out from home, chances of you having a TRX are probably lower. I also think there are a couple additional uh, technique points that you need to consider with the TRX row that you probably don't need to consider with the the chest supported row. So for those of you who don't know what the chest supported row is, you get a bench, you set up on the incline, you lay down on that bench, you grab your dumbbells and you pull. It's super versatile as well. So you can do a neutral grip with the elbows in if you're looking to target the lats more, you can angle the grip, flare out a little bit more for the rhomboids, you can do more of a high row for the rear delts, for the upper back, it's just super versatile. I will say the one negative for this is uh, it's not as comfortable for a lot of women for obvious reasons. Uh, but it's a relatively easy exercise to do if you do have a, a bench and a pair of dumbbells. It is, uh, it's one of my favorite exercises to do for the entire back. Yeah, I really got nothing to disagree with that. It, for me, it kind of came down to T-Rex row, chest supported row. To me, they're 1A, 1B. So honestly, I really have no negatives at all in terms of uh, the chest supported row. It's kind of right in line with that T-Rex row. So we'll move on to push now. We've got a couple more to go. Uh, I'm interested to hear yours for push. You're the master at shoulders, kind of chest. You got some pretty good strength there. So what are your top two exercises in terms of pushing movements? So the two that I chose are probably not the two that I'm best at, but that are better for uh, the average person, I guess. And the first one I chose is the landmine press. The second one I chose is the humble push-up. So the landmine press I chose because uh, Rich... I'm, I'm guessing you probably chose this one. Believe it or not, I didn't. No? Okay. No, it was my third. It was okay. my third. Yeah. So Rich could probably go in a lot more detail here, but the overhead pressing that most people do, uh, it's not suited for everyone. If you don't have the mobility, if you don't have the core strength, overhead pressing, while great exercise, is, uh, is often a risky exercise. So the landmine press allows you to get the same type of benefits from over pre overhead pressing, but it's a lot easier on the shoulders. And you get a lot more activation from the chest as well. And personally, one of the things that selfishly I included this one with is because I'm one of the, the few people who have more of what we call like a military posture. Whereas uh, in general, I know Rich disagrees with this, but I like the concept of pull more than you push. I think for the average person, that's really good advice. Most people are really slumped forward with their shoulders forward. Uh, I've been hearing that advice for so long that I overcompensated and I just ended up doing a ton of pulling. And then what ends up happening is my shoulder blades are really close together. I'm super rhomboid dominant. And um, it looks like it's super impressive posture, but it's actually not good for your shoulders. So uh, the landmine press is a perfect exercise to actually get that shoulder blade up and pushed forward to engage those serratus muscles, which is like the rib-like muscles, they call it the boxer muscle, uh, that allows you to push and press for the shoulders and chest with a much lower risk of hurting your shoulders. A lot of lifters have really bad shoulders. This is a much more shoulder-friendly exercise that also works the chest. And for someone like me who's really protracted all the time, it allows, or sorry, retracted all the time, it allows me to get into that protraction, upward rotation, and uh, helps improve my posture into more of a neutral position. The downside, obviously, is not everyone has a landmine setup. So it's not very, uh, 
the utility is not great for that. But if you have a barbell, you can put it in a corner of, uh, of your house as long as you have some towels to wrap it up. So landmine press, I just think it's very versatile. If you do have access to it, it's good for the core, good for chest, shoulders, serratus, and it's much safer than a traditional overhead press. Second one I chose is the push-up. The push-up, the main reason I chose it is because something that anyone can do. Anytime you can get a body weight exercise that's as effective or more effective than using heavy weights, take a lot of pressure off your joints and your nervous system, that's, that's a great exercise to choose. So the push-up is fantastic for that reason. Uh, it's scalable, so you're able to regress it and do easier variations. You're able to progress it and overload it with weight. So if you're able to do push-ups relatively easy, you can put some weight on your back and um, it's just a very versatile exercise. The problem with the push-up is because it's such a common exercise, everyone just assumes that they should be able to do it. But the push-up is actually a really difficult exercise and it's a full body movement. So uh, we see, usually we have two types of clients. We have half people that want to uh, take it easy because they're not comfortable with really pushing to that next level. And they tend to go maybe half a step lower than where they should be. And then we have the other half who are super ambitious, maybe trying to do things that they aren't necessarily ready for. And the push-up is definitely one of those exercises because we often think that those who can't do push-ups aren't able to do it because of technique, but the push-up actually requires a lot of upper body strength. So uh, I think a lot of people try to do the, you know, the push-up on your toes when in reality they just don't have the body weight strength to be able to do it. So I like the push-up because one, you don't need equipment. Two, you can really overload it great for physique, great for strength, also works your core, your quads, and your glutes if you're doing it properly as well. But like the deadlift, like the barbell squat, I think it really helps if you have a coach to be able to assess your form and make sure you're doing it properly. So it's one of those exercises that looks easy, but there's a lot to it. So what are the two push exercises that you had? For sure, no, I, I actually agree with you by the way too, I'm sure the pull push. I do actually like pulling more than pushing for the most part. My kind of thing is like assess, don't assume, kind of like I'm like right on line, because some people will be like you were kind of bunched up and some people kind of go like that. But yeah, as a general rule of thumb, you do want more pulling for sure. But my two pushes, so it's funny, I know I, that seems like an exercise I picked to land my press, so that's kind of my three, my third one. But uh, I picked the push up as number one, and I picked the incline dumbbell press as number two. And you said a lot of um, fantastic points in the push up, so I'm not gonna go too much in depth, but like Sean said, it's a body weight movement that I think everyone should do before you kind of get into throwing a barbell. Um, I like it as well because it offers more joint stability. So we have something called closed chain versus open chain exercises. The push up is a closed chain, meaning your hands are fixed to the ground as you kind of move the body back and forth. Most pushing exercises are open chain. So think like a bench press, the hands are going away. Um, uh, a, a incline press, even the one I have next, like a landmine press. So a lot of those are pushing away open chain movements. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. But closed chain, especially if you're hypermobile and you got a lot of mobility, which a lot of people actually do, if you can offer more, more stability to the joint by having that hand kind of fixed to the ground, this can be a fantastic way to kind of really improve your shoulder and even your elbow and wrist health. So that's a great reason. Good to overload. Um, great for core stability. It's a full body kinetic chain movement. Uh, like Sean to the downside is it, it can get pretty sloppy in terms of form. If you have no experience in a push-up and you're trying to get a little ambitious, I don't know how many times I see people hurt the shoulders doing them by flaring the elbows out or hands in front of the body and set to the side. So it can definitely wreck the shoulders and even lower back if you don't have good core control and you're constantly arching the lower back when you're kind of going down and up. So you said a lot of fantastic points. So I'm not gonna really build up that too much, but the push up for me is number one. 
The number two, uh, I definitely like the landmine press. The reason why I picked the incline dumbbell press, uh, again, bit of a bit of a bit more of a meathead answer, and uh, I'm picking because you can overload it a bit more in terms of the chest and shoulders, and we can do something called adduction for the chest. So if we want to kind of get the chest involved and really shorten these fibers, we got to bring the arm towards the midline and even cross the body just like that. So if I had to pick two, the push up, the problem for that for me is the hands are fixed. Great exercise, but we're not getting that adduction component to it. The hands obviously can't go towards midline. A landmine press, again, great exercise. Like you said, great for straightness, great for wrapping the shoulder blades around. And if someone has shoulder pain, um, that will probably be my go-to exercise, depending on the situation, of course. But again, it doesn't really offer that adduction too much as the line of pulls is kind of straight up, straight down. With the incline press, we can really overload the chest and shoulders. We can bring it across the body. Obviously, it's not too much resistance at the top range, but still a little bit. And um, it's just a good overall motion that kind of gets those top part of the chest fibers with the shoulders involved as it lines up very well with those fibers. Um, any disagreements, anything you want to add to that before we kind of move on to the carry? No, no disagreements, but I will add two things. Number one, just to, to emphasize how complex the push-up really is. Last week, I was doing a boot camp class. Rich was the one instructing it, and I was doing push-ups, and as I got tired, my push-ups, I thought looked great. He comes up to me, he's like, dude, your, your hips are dropping a little bit. <laughs> so if it can happen to me, if it can happen to us, uh, it really does help to, to make sure that you're really focusing on that technique because it's so easy to just lose track of even one small thing and just imagine doing that over and over and over and over again. One, your technique's not gonna be good and two, your chances of actually getting injured are gonna be way higher. And the second thing I wanna add is I agree 100% with the incline press. Uh, personally, it's my favorite pressing movement. Um, I think if you already have a good foundational element of strength, like if you're able to do the push-ups and uh, you're training specifically for body bodybuilding or just like trying to get more muscle and more of an improved physique, if you were to ask me to choose only one chest slash push exercise, that would be the one that I would choose. So if you're like, hey, I wanna get, I wanna get a more impressive chest and shoulders, give me one exercise, it would be the incline dumbbell press. So I agree with him 100% there. Awesome, perfect. Let's move on to our last one and then we'll kind of wrap up today. Uh, is my turn to start or yours? You're up. Mine, okay. Next we're gonna do is carry. So carry, what is carrying? It's kind of very straightforward, kind of picking up whatever dumbbell, barbell, trap bar, kind of moving in directions. The two exercises I choose were the suitcase carry and the goblet carry. So maybe a bit of a, a curveball there. The suitcase carry, the reason why I picked this. It is just fantastic for core and hip uh, control and stability. So we have the dumbbell on the one side. If you're not familiar with suitcase carry, just a one dumbbell carry basically. And what that does, it really targets the stance leg glute medius, so the stance leg glute, and the opposite was a muscle called the QL. And basically that's something called like the lateral subsystem, and its job is to really stabilize the hips and making sure we don't get that hip drop. You might have seen people when they walk, their kind of gait patterns, we kind of dip towards the side, we kind of a side bend. That's something called Trendelenburg gait, and that's a faulty movement pattern. The suitcase carry, if we kind of have that one dumbbell, we're walking, we're really focusing on the QX to kind of give is if your hips are a bowl of water, make sure it's not tipped either way. If we really focus on that cue, it's just a great way to train that subsystem in which I kind of mentioned and really kind of light up the core and the opposite side QL, which job is to really stabilize the spine and stabilize the hips. So if you're looking to improve your uh, core control and um, you know try to minimize back pain, I think the suitcase carry is a great way to start as it hits a lot of surrounding muscles around the spine and stabilizes that lateral subsystem. 
The, the second one I'm going to talk about is the goblet carry. And the goblet carry, if you're not familiar with it, just be one dumbbell in front of the, uh, the chest and you're just walking back and forth. And uh, my emphasis, as you can kind of tell, is a lot of core control when it comes to carries. And the reason why I like the goblet carry is it's an anti-extension. So kind of think of a plank where you're trying to bring that lower back from arching. It's an anti-extension type of carry where you have it in front of the body and you're trying to make sure that lower back isn't uh, arching. So you really have to light up the front part of the core when you are doing a goblet carry. And if you don't, you're, the dumbbells can be kind of resting your chest and you're gonna arch lower back. And this is gonna be a great transition exercise to something like a deadlift or uh, a squat. When you kind of get into that top position, are you gonna keep the core tight and squeeze the glutes or are you just gonna extend through lower back? So mastering the goblet carry and even suitcase carry is our, it's just a both great transitional exercises to goblet squats, um, deadlifts and any sort of single leg training. And that's why I love the exercises. If there is a downfall, if you're looking for pure strength, these exercises probably won't be my first choice. These are just good for more control. What are the two carry exercises that you choose? So I actually agree with you 100% with the suitcase carry. Okay. It's not my personal favorite. I don't enjoy doing it at all. Personally, I just don't like the way it feels. But like you said, it's such an important exercise. It's one of those uh, one of those movements and areas that we really neglect and um, I think the suitcase carry does a really good job of addressing that for all of the reasons you mentioned. So I really don't want to get more in depth there. I think you did a great job of explaining the suitcase carry. So that would be one for sure. The second one, which is probably the most obvious one, is going to be the farmer's carry. So the farmer's carry, it's a fun exercise to do and it's just a great test of pure raw strength. You can really tell how strong someone is by how well they farmer carry. And if you don't know what a farmer carry is, you just grab two weights, usually dumbbells, two kettlebells, it can be anything. You grab two weights, pick them up, and you walk with them. It's super functional. It's like when you're going back from the grocery store and you're picking up the bags of groceries and you're walking back. Uh, it's really, really good for overall uh, strength. And another thing that I really like about the farmer's carry is it really helps your grip. And especially if you're trying to get better with exercises like uh, deadlifts, where the grip is the limiting factor, then doing exercises like farmer walk is gonna have really good uh, implications to transition over to exercises like the deadlift. So it's gonna really help strengthen your, your grip. And one of the weird statistics out there is grip strength is actually associated with mortality, meaning people who have stronger grip tend to live longer, which is a strange stat, but it, grip strength is one of those very simple tests that can just show how strong someone is. So if you're trying to get stronger, the farmer walk is a great exercise. It's really fun to do because there's not too much in terms of technical element to it. You do want to engage your core. You want to try not to move too much side to side, but essentially the fact that you have two equal weights makes it a lot easier to do than a regular uh, suitcase carry, for instance, which you'll feel that dumbbell pulling you to one side and your core's job for that one is to stabilize. Whereas uh, the farmer carry gets that heart rate up. It's a conditioning exercise. It can be a strength exercise. It can be a stamina exercise and it works so many different muscles. I think uh, for me personally, it's the only carry that I do on a regular basis and I've just found really, really good uh, transition to, to other parts of my workouts because of the farmer carry. So that would be the second one that I chose. Sounds good. So we're kind of similar thinking in terms of grip here, but um, here would be my somewhat rebuttal to it. Um, I just think if we're doing deadlifts, we're doing rows, we're doing chin-ups, we're holding dumbbells, 
I think a lot of people actually overuse their grip. And don't get me wrong, if you're not doing those exercises like that frequently, you're not overloading and you're a relatively beginner and you're trying to build your grip strength, I would absolutely say go farmer's carry. But um, sometimes we actually overuse our grip. Um, it can actually kind of lead to, you know, maybe a tendinopathy in your elbow, uh, maybe, you know, wherever it may be, as a tennis elbow or, or um, a golfer's elbow. But um, you're absolutely right. It's so important for grip strength, functional and functional strength. Like you said, it was a great example in terms of actually um, carrying the groceries. The only concern I have sometimes is um, you got to monitor how much gripping you're doing during your overall week. If it's relatively low and you're doing a lot of that stuff on your back and um, you know maybe you're using like straps, then I'd say absolutely go for farmer's carry. But if you're doing a lot of like deadlifting, pulling, um, I would say you definitely gotta be you know maybe a little careful how much you do the farmer's carry because it could lead to like an overuse injury. But that was my third choice, farmer's carry. I just kind of figure like a lot of gripping involved, so maybe not necessary. But you're, you make so many good points in terms like why you need the grip strength and if you don't have enough grip strength this would be probably my, my number one choice so um anything else you want to say to anything about that or extra point at all i guess just like not necessarily a rebuttal but like rich said earlier context is everything and you could definitely make the argument for grip strength either way so uh the way rich trains like he absolutely crushes his grip right like so when he does a bulgarian split squat for instance he'll use like two really heavy dumbbells which in turn is going to work a lot of his grip yeah. when i do a bulgarian split squat i'm throwing a barbell on my back i want to work my legs i don't want to work anything else i think for the average person they are probably weaker in the grip than they probably should be which is why i think it's super important to train the grip so to rich's point he's 100 correct if, especially if you train the way he does with heavy dumbbells for everything a lot of pulling a lot of heavy deadlifts then yeah, you can definitely overdo it with a grip. I just think most people probably don't train that way. I think most people probably find that during a lot of exercise exercises, it's actually their grip that's preventing them from maybe doing as heavy as they want to get. So you could you, you be, kind of have to look at where you're at, how you train, and uh, it's not as easy to just generalize one way or another. So I think context really matters for that one. Yep, I agree with saying context for sure. Like I said, how I train versus what else trains definitely a lot of factors. So I think you're absolutely right there. Um, that wraps up basically our two exercises for each movement. So anything you want to add to it before we kind of uh, wrap the video up here and the podcast up? No, I'm, I'm curious what your two most difficult ones to choose for. Because for me personally, it was the squat. I'm like, how many different squats could there possibly be? Yeah. And uh, carries, just because I can probably list five or six really good carry variations. But realistically, I only do one regularly. And then the suitcase carry kind of uh, occasionally. So those were like the two ones that I had a tough time. I could personally like name five or six push and pulls easily. So like, what were the two hardest ones for you at least? Squat for sure. I I, I was going back and forth with squat because like I said, I really don't do barbell squats. I generally don't do them with my clients, but it's like, it's one of the things like I understand the benefits of them. So if you can, you know, if you have the mobility and stability to squat deep with the barbell and you have no um, imbalances, it should be an exercise you should do, but it's very contradicting. So I was like, oh, do I put that in? But at the end of the day, if you have no prerequisites, I think it was a great exercise. And the second one for me, believe it or not, was actually push. Because like you said, the landmine press, you know me, I'm, I'm kind of like a corrective guy. I kind of think about shoulder health. So I'm like, do I put the landmine press in? Do I put the incline press in? Do I do an up and under cable? It's kind of like more of like a bodybuilding move to kind of get the top part of the chest. I was thinking closed chain, the kind of hand toward the ground versus open chain. So I really tried to balance it out and ultimately it came down to one closed chain movement with their hands fixed, which is a good overall full body. And then one more specifically targeted for the top part of the chest and shoulders that is an open chain movement, which is the incline press. What about you? What was your, you said squat, anything else for that? Or squat no? and carries for me. Just well, like squat I said, and carries, because yeah. I, don't, I just don't do the carries that, that often. But either way, I think 
for most of you, anyone, if you look at any of the exercises we listed, you can't go wrong. All They're all grades. really, really good exercises that give you bang for your buck. It's not like it just does one thing that kind of helps. It's going to help you get stronger. It's probably going to help your physique. Uh, it's going to help most of them with your, uh, your imbalances and correctiveness as well. So I, I think you can't go wrong with any of these exercises, even the ones that we disagree on, even the ones that necess- I wouldn't necessarily choose. I still think uh, are really, really good exercises. Exactly. And remember too, we're only picking two. So there's like, we do basically all these exercises. We had to pick two and it was really hard to kind of um, really differentiate between maybe the second and third one or second and fourth one. So they're all great exercises in which we uh, we listed here. But uh, thanks for in the podcast. That was fun today. Hope you enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. No problem. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, remember Breakthrough Bootcamp, we're kind of getting underway here. Come on in, check us out. Morning class, are getting super busy. So Come on in, experience it if you haven't tried a class, and uh, we'll get you set up for your first class here. Thanks so much, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Until next time.